listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Get to it. Open your Bibles. All right, to Mark chapter 1. I think I'm a little on the loud side, and I'm, that, that's going to keep me from really getting going. And so if you guys can just address that back there, that would be super helpful. And uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Ushers are coming forward with, with Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, please take that so you can follow along in our passage and our reading this morning. And um, if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible uh, with you as God's gift to you today. I'm thankful for those who have proclaimed God's Word over the last number of weeks. The last four weeks, we had Pastor Earl from Oakville, and then Lester, one of our elders, preach, and then Glenn, um, Glenn Kyle preached, and then last Sunday, Pastor Kai from uh, Muskoka. And just thankful for those who faithfully handle the Word of God. And, um, and, and having a break from preaching these last number of weeks has been um, restful, kind of, in some ways, but it has allowed me to focus in on some other areas of the life and the work of the church And um, as we continue to discuss, as we continue to pray, as we discern God's direction for what does it mean for Hope Bible Church heading into the fall, heading into 2023, what does it mean for us to be faithful in living out God's mission individually, as families, the places where God has placed us, but also for us as a church. And so we are leaning into that and we're in a season of just looking to God for that. And so please join us in prayer and in seeking God. God in this way. We also spent some time in Alberta, and it was a month ago this Sunday that we left and went to the Banff-Canmore area. We had the Great Commission Collective, the family of churches that we are a part of. We had our senior pastors and wives retreat. It was the first time that, that, that all the pastors joined in Western Canada. We've always had to go to the east and to uh, Ontario for that, and, and so the pastors and their wives came. Some drove out, some flew out, and we had a great time together at that retreat and just love the encouragement. Um, most of the 26 churches, uh, Canadian churches were represented there as well as we had a crew, uh, husband and wife from Mexico City, one of our churches there. They don't have the same kind of connection so one of the churches paid for them to come and be part of that and it was great for them to be a part of. The, church, the um, retreat was hosted at a church in Canmore, the latest and the newest church in Canada to join the Great Commission Collective. It's Crossway Church and it's in Canmore it's in the, they have a unique building. I, uh, uh, you'll see a couple of the pictures of it. It's in a warehouse area in kind of the industrial section of town. Small facility, but they've been going for over 20 years and as a church, independent, and, and they just, dis, they see what's going on in the Great Commission Collective and their leadership team and their pastor, Pastor Daryl Young. They align so well with and, and resonate with the Great Commission Collective. And so, um, they have gone through the process and have joined uh, the, uh, our family of churches. And so I encourage you, this summer, if you're driving out to Alberta, make a plan, make it so if you are traveling on a Sunday, be in church that Sunday, get to Crossway Churches, look them up. It's, uh, we, there's, uh, you know how to use the internet. 
Uh, okay, just use the internet and, and, uh, and you can find it. And if you get really stuck, just get in touch with us and we'll direct you there. And you can go on Great Commission Collective Canada's website and you'll see the listing and, and the location for all the churches in Canada, wherever it is that you are traveling and going. And so, um, so just encourage you with that. Also in Alberta, we got to see our kids in Calgary. And uh, May long weekend in Alberta would not be May long weekend without snow of course and so got to make a snow i took my golf clubs and that was about the only use i got out of them and in, in uh, making a snowman and and so but we had a good time and just thankful for that all right so we're going to be getting into the gospel of mark here this morning and 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 as we start this new message series it's going to take us well into 2023 this may take us a year to get through this and uh, and especially you see the rate that it's going to take us to get through one verse today you're going to think we're going to be going through this over five years but we're going to actually kind of chew off eight verses today in total but um but, but, but anyways, this is a, an amazing book of the Bible. It, the Gospel of Mark is believed to be the very first gospel that was written. And Mark recorded uh, the happenings of Jesus in rapid-fire succession. You just can't help but when you read it, and I encourage you this week, take time to read through the chapters, all 16 chapters. They're short and sweet in rapid-fire kind of ev- the events, the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and Mark, the gospel writer, wrote with the intention to show the reader, to reveal to us, to prove to us that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God in the flesh who lived, served, suffered, died, and rose again as promised in the Old Testament, that Jesus was was the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies. And so this morning as we get started in this, we're going to start by looking at the why, the who, the what of Mark's gospel. And we're going to see how this book, this gospel applies into our lives even today in a powerful and in a mighty way. And so the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it starts out in verse 1. You can follow along the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so first of all, why Mark's gospel? Because it's timely and it will mess with us in a good way, okay? This is going to be a timely journey through the Word of God, through this gospel, because it is so timely for the day that we're living in, for where we are at as a church, where we are at as North American Western believers, it's going to mess with us. And it's going to be good, because we need a good messing up, I believe, and to get our heads and our minds and our lives revolving around God's mission. And, and, and we're living in days that are incredibly dark and confusing, disheartening on so many fronts. I don't have to go into all of that. Truth is under attack. God's word is under attack. And it's easy to become fearful and angry and cynical and lose hope. God's people are drifting. The church of Jesus Christ, so many have drifted so far from the truth of the Word of God, and so many believers, and it can happen to any one of us, can drift into areas of, uh, of wrong teaching, into areas of, of worldliness that takes us away from the gospel effectiveness, takes us away from the life and the purpose that God has planned for us. And it's so easy to become then angry and, 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 and cynical and fearful and, and, and we can easily lose hope when we watch the news. You go on social media, you see what's going on. And it's easy 
also to get sucked in and to get swept away and consumed by worldly and fleshly thinking and passions and pursuits and lifestyles. And lately, I've seen way too much of that. In previous churches, watching, following, being friends on social media with people who I've served with, who have attended churches where I've been a part of in the past. And even in this church, People who haven't been watching their life and their doctrine closely and have been fading away from community, fading away from living God's Word. And in no time, any one of us, if we are not watchful, if we are not careful in our own lives, if we are not living in biblical community with others, we can easily find ourselves caught in the chains of sin and addiction and various escape mechanisms in, in, in living then in being consumed with fear, and we ought not to be. We can become so frustrated and angry, and we become and, and our faith becomes empty and, and just going through the religious motions, we get distracted, and we just kind of are existing. We can show up to church. We can say all the right things, but we're just kind of existing. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what life in Christ is about. It's knowing and experiencing the life and the joy and the peace and the love and the encouragement and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in the Word of God and through the body of Christ. Instead, of, instead many are settling for emptiness and sadness, and, 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 and a longing, just knowing that things aren't right inside. And yet the pull and the distractions, just think, if I have a little more, if I just have this, if I just have this. No, we need this. This is what we need in our lives. This is what we need, the truth of God's Word. This is what we need. And we need the Holy Spirit then to, to do His new and fresh and good work in our lives. All of us need this. The Gospel of Mark it is amazing because it reveals to us who Jesus is and why he came and what it means to then live life the way that Jesus planned out for us to live it to the full. The gospel of Mark is fast-paced. I love it because it's that let's get to it kind of attitude. And I think that's so much of the attitude of this church, right? Come on. Hey, let's just go. Let's just get to it. What, what the Lord lays on our hearts and, 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 and how he's leading and guiding us, we have this let's get to it kind of a church. Like a couple weeks ago, ladies were planning this nice little event at a coffee shop and, 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 and all of a sudden, what, four days before the event, three or four days before the event, oh, the, the venue canceled. And it was just like, well, let's get to it. Let's figure it out. And they did. And they had amazing, and I love that kind of heart and that kind of attitude. The word immediately is used over 40 times in this chat, in, in this gospel. And so Mark is, come on, let's go, come on. And we just see Jesus, a man on a mission, and let's get to it. Jesus, he was a get to it kind of guy, so are we. You read, there's a sense of urgency as it puts the reader, it puts the listener. And I trust as we go through this, as readers, as listeners to this gospel, it's going to put us in front of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Almighty, and he's going to put us in front. We're going to see Jesus for who he is and the authority then that he does have. And, 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 and it will leave us to make some decisions in our lives. It will, read, it will leave the listener to the point where it's impossible to be neutral. Either you're in, you're out, you're hot, you're cold, 
None of this middle ground junk. All right? It's, and, and, and it's just so clear in that. And, and so would we be praying? Would you be praying personally? Would you be praying for your family? Would you be praying for us as a church? Would you be praying for us as a, in this region? That, that, that this series, as we preach and proclaim God's word, that skeptics and seekers will have Jesus put before them. And they will examine Christ and be convinced and get saved. Would we be praying that this next year we would see salvations like we've never seen? Let's be praying that many lost would be saved. It's going to take, and it's going to take the lukewarm, the unengaged, and it will give them the opportunity to be stimulated, to examine their lives, to move from mediocre to on fire to, to, to maturity in their faith. And I trust and I pray that it will take growing and mature believers who are all in, not to become proud, but to become even more humble and, 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 and yet be encouraged and yet challenged to emulate, to follow Jesus Christ with laser focus in living out Christ's mission. And so back to verse one, notice it says, I love the first, first verse is so powerful. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Mark is basically saying, this, here, what I'm writing you about Jesus, this is only the beginning. We're just getting started, he's saying. And even the way the book actually ends, it ends really abruptly because it's like, it's not over. The work isn't, it isn't done. It's only beginning. And you and I, we're part of that gospel work. We are part of, in the beginning, God the gospel of Jesus Christ continues on. That mission isn't done. It continues. And he desires to use a bunch of mess-ups to be his messengers. And I throw myself into that. I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking with you. And so why is this gospel so important? Because it's timely. It's timely for the day we're living. It's timely for our church. <laughs> it's going to mess with us, but it's in a good way. Who is Mark, second of all? Who is Mark? Well, of all the four Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are all eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. And God selected these four men, inspiring them, moving them by the Holy Spirit to write independently of one another about the life, the work, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and as I said, they wrote independently of each other at different times, at different places, from a different perspective. And for specific audiences. And since the Holy Spirit inspired these, each writer, each one of them is without error, containing just amazing unity and accuracy in their reporting of what we see and providing with us just some incredible snapshots, various angles, different perspectives of the life of Christ, yet with a unifying message to them all. Matthew was a former tax collector, and he, he, he wrote specifically to Jewish audiences. That's why he has genealogy, starts with the genealogy, to, to convince the Jewish mind and, 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 and thinker and seeker. Luke was a Gentile doctor who wrote to a Greek-educated audience. John, the disciple, the brash son of thunder, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. He wrote to, just, he wrote to the whole world. He's like, here's who Jesus is. And then Mark, also referred to in God's word as John Mark, he had no great position or title. He wasn't a disciple. 
And even though he never self-identifies as the author, biblical history and, 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 and early church fathers and writers unanimously agree that John Mark was the writer of this gospel. Some Bible scholars believe that he even made a cameo appearance. He placed himself into this story. And, and it's, not, it's not all that flattering either. In chapter 14, you can write that down, take a look at that a little later. In, in chapter 14, during when Jesus was being arrested, the, the soldiers were also trying to seize some of the others that were with Jesus. And, and it tells us, I think it's getting down to verse 50, verse 51, somewhere in there, the, the soldiers took and grabbed a young man and they tried to seize him, but he got away by slipping out of his cloak and running away naked. Yeah, that's what he's known in God's word for. I, I'm the dude that ran away naked. I'm not going to self-identify for obvious reasons. And so he, not only was he quite possibly this naked guy running away from Jesus, we also know something else about him is that he was a restored failure. He was a failure who was restored and beautifully, beautifully used by Jesus Christ. A broken failure yet restored. Let's look at a little bit about his life. We don't know, we know his mother's name is Mary. We, we get this from Acts chapter 12, who was probably widowed. So early on in Mark's life, he probably grew, out, grew up without a father figure in his life. And in Acts chapter 12, when the apostle Peter was in prison, we see that the church gathered to pray for his release, which God did answer that prayer, that, that, that he ended up, uh, Peter, going to the house of Mary, John Mark's mother's place. That's where the church was gathering to pray. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul was getting ready to go on his very first missionary journey. Now, hands were laid upon him and Barnabas, and they were being sent out, and they were going to go and preach the gospel, plant churches, raise up elders, and repeat, and keep on doing this. And they did that for a number of years. But, and so at the start of the journey, Barnabas said, hey, is it okay, and it must have been, Paul must have said okay, for my cousin, young John Mark, to come with us, and so he came as a helper. But in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 13, we end up seeing that when the going got tough, and it did, they faced some brutal opposition. John Mark left, and he deserted them, and he got back on a ship, and he sailed back to Jerusalem. He's like, I'm not being a part of this any longer. And you think, okay, well, it's mentioned there in Acts 13. But then when we get to Acts 15, and you can look up all these references, they're there on the screen. I hope you're writing them down and you can look this up this week in your own personal study. Then in Acts 15, this is now a few years later, as Paul and Barnabas were, were getting ready for their second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along with them. And the Apostle Paul said, like, no, you're not. That's not going to happen. And we read that there was a very sharp and divisive disagreement that took place between Paul and Barnabas, these longtime ministry friends. And Barnabas says, let's take him with us. And Paul says, over my dead body. And Barnabas said, well, fine then. And, 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 and he went one way with Barnabas, and Paul took Silas with him, and they spread out, and the ministry continued, but there was this sharp disagreement that severed the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul took Silas, Barnabas went and took John Mark. Now, interestingly enough, 10 years later, Paul is writing the book of Colossians from prison, from his first Roman imprisonment. This is about 10 years later. And guess who he mentions 
in chapter 4, who is with him? John Mark is with him. Huh. The deserter, the coward, John Mark is now with the Apostle Paul, someone who Paul didn't want to have anything to do with 10 years earlier. Paul mentions him again in Philemon as one, is the, one of the faithful that was with him. Then later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's writing his last letter, the Apostle Paul is, from prison again in Rome. This is his second imprisonment. And this is right before he is beheaded. And he requests for John Mark to come. And he says, he says, for he is useful to me in ministry. The useless has become useful. The failure, the deserter, is requested and now valued, causing God to use him in some incredible ways. This is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel of grace, of forgiveness, the God who gives us second, third, fourth chances. Now, it is believed that during that 10-year absence that we don't know much about him, that Mark not only served alongside Barnabas, it is also believed he became a very faithful companion and friend to the Apostle Peter. In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he refers to Mark as his son, which speaks of a close relationship, a spiritual relationship that they have. And it's out of that close relationship that Mark would write the Gospel of Mark in the, giving the account, the eyewitness account from the perspective of Peter. So who is John Mark? A restored, failure, turned, faithful servant. He allowed himself to be mentored and come alongside others. He wasn't the show. He wasn't the speaker. He wasn't the main one in charge or the main, main, main one. He wasn't the front guy. He was a faithful servant, and God used him and chose him to be one of the writers of the Word of God. How amazing is that? God restores. God gives us a chance. Unlimited mulligans. If you're a golfer, you'll know what that means. And you say, but why would the Lord choose a guy like that? Because you know what? In reality, that's the only kind of people there are. Sinful, unqualified people like you and me. Forgiven sinners. That's who God chooses. And that is who God uses and desires to use every one of us. For his glory and for his purpose. Now John Mark held no office or title. He wasn't a pastor, preacher, leader, apostle, evangelist, prophet. He wasn't a leader as far as we know of anything. He held no office or no title. He was a pretty much behind the scenes kind of guy. But he was faithful. And he was trusted. And he was used mightily by God. This gives every one of us hope. Every one of us. That God can use mess, up, mess ups and failures. It's not about titles or positions. It's not about being the front person. In fact, I believe a life honors God more when we are behind, behind the curtain, behind. And there's a higher price to pay and a higher judgment for those who are the front people. God calls us all to be faithful. Thirdly, what is the message of this gospel? What is the message of the gospel of Mark? It's long. You may want to snap a picture of this. It'll be up for a while. Um, but, but it just couldn't summarize it just in one statement. But here it is. 
that God has kept his promise to send the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whose death and resurrection paid the penalty for our sins and achieved victory over Satan, sin, and death. With this good news comes the call to all believers for faith and cross-bearing proclamation and discipleship. It establishes who God is, the authority that he has as Jesus Christ here on this earth as the Son of God. And because of that comes the opportunity, the obligation, the command that we have to carry our cross, to proclaim Christ, and to be discipled and to disciple others. You see, the gospel means good news. And the mark in the first, and, and what Mark does in the first half of this book is he reveals to us Jesus as the almighty Son of God and as God incarnate. And, and, and he shows us, and, and we're going to work through these miracles, and we're going to see the power, the authority that Jesus has over sickness, over disease, over Satan, over demons, over nature, over all things. Then the second half reveals Jesus as God through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as readers, as listeners, as we work through this series, we will be, be left with only one adequate response. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith and awe that God would allow us to hear this amazing message and respond to it and to be used then by him. And this repentance and faith leads us to proclamation, to proclaim Christ, to be on his mission as well as to discipleship. It will mean, to live this out means rearranging our lives around and for Jesus Christ, the servant king. And let's face it, so much of it is we want Jesus to get on our agenda and Jesus to get on our plan and Jesus to get on to our mission. And he's, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Disciple is on the mission that we have been given from God. And see, there's a danger, though, that, that goes on with this, is that we hear these words, we hear these truths, we read this gospel. B.B. Warfield uh, wrote this in the 1800s. He said, one of the dangers the believer faces is that the radical glories of the gospel can become so familiar that we lose our sense of awe. And, and, and we just go, losing our sense of awe, we lose our thankfulness. And losing our thankfulness, we lose our worship. And losing our worship, we are just one step away from idolatry, from falling away and chasing worthless and godless things. Oh, may we not lose our awe. May we not lose the wonder of the gospel, of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And would we over and over and over as we go through this series, and even today, would we be undone by God's mercy and His grace? And not only be undone where we proclaim and we sing in response as we will at the end of this, this message and, and not just words that come out of our lives, but the actions of our lives throughout the week. Would we be undone and be moved into mission and to do what he calls us to do and to say what he calls us to say? So Mark quickly starts out, as we continue here, we finally made it through the first verse, and we're going to plow through a few more here. He, he, he starts out by taking us to the shores of the Jordan River, out into the wilderness where we see God's promise being fulfilled. Because it says in verse 2, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before you, and will prepare 
your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Mark is quoting from Isaiah and from Malachi. And, and these words were written six or seven hundred years earlier that promised and told us that Messiah would one day come. But when Messiah would come, there would be a messenger, there would be a proclaimer, there would be somebody announcing that the King of Kings would soon be revealed. And just as in those days an arriving king, a, a, a head of state would arrive in a certain region of the country that they oversaw, that they were in charge of, they would come with great announcements and preceding their arrivals, they would straighten the roads, they would fill in the potholes, and, and, and they would make sure the communities are all looked up and spruced up, because after all, the king is coming. And the same is true with Messiah. And this is what John the Baptist is doing, because God's word promised six, seven hundred years later, there's going to be somebody calling out in the wilderness, get ready, the king is coming. And he's going to call them to, to prepare to meet King Jesus. And fourthly, we see that God uses messengers. God uses messengers to get the good news out. We're going to continue in verse 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judah, Judea and, and all Jerusalem were going out to him where were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here we see one of God's messengers. Here we see this messenger that God had promised six, seven hundred years. John the Baptist, second cousin to Jesus. He was essentially the last of the Old Testament prophets as he was doing the work of a prophet, calling people to repent, get right with God, because Messiah is coming. Today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith, if you have repented of your sins and made Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, we have been given the privilege, we have been given the mission, the responsibility to proclaim, to call people to repentance and to faith, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, because what? The King is coming. And people got to better prepare. The first time Jesus came was for salvation. The next time Jesus comes, it's for judgment. Are we ready? Are those around us ready? We are to call people to get ready. God uses messengers like you and me. And John the Baptist, we see the qualities of a messenger. We see these important qualities, and, 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 uh, and, and, and these qualities are such as, and encourage you to be writing these down, first of all, to speak into the silence and the darkness. God raises up messenger. God uses messengers like you and me to speak into the silence and the darkness. Is there a lot of silence in the world when it comes to the Word of God and what God's Word has to say? You better believe there is. Is there a lot of darkness? These days are very dark. And God so often uses the most unlikely strange people I'm looking at in strange places to at times say the strangest of things to live out God's call upon our lives. It's not to be weird. It's not to be edgy. It's not to be shock jockey or anything like that. 
to be faithful. It had been 400 years of silence. No prophets had been speaking. There was no prophetic word that had come for 400 years. And God seemed incredibly silent and distant, and the days back then were incredibly dark. You can read along in, in Luke chapter 3 where we get a little bit of a history. Mark doesn't give it. He just gets to it. But we need to study Luke chapter 3, and we understand the political climate of the day. Right in, in verse 1 of, of Luke 3, you, you, you read, it, it lists the political leaders. It, it lists the kings and the tetrarchs that ruled the day. And biblical and secular history agree and show these to be very evil and corrupt leaders. Everything was corrupt. Politically, economically, <clears throat> sound familiar? Everything was corrupt. Religious system, dead, false teachers, empty. It was, it, it, it was empty, it was dead. Even the church system was corrupt. What are we seeing day after day? It's into this kind of a silence. It was into this kind of darkness. There was a voice and there was a light. And it's into the silence and the darkness today that there is to be a voice and a light. Some of you are sitting there saying, well, you got your job cut out for you now, Meldon. No, I'm looking at every one of you. The job is cut out for us to speak into the silence and the darkness, to be faithful where God has placed you. Speak. I can just hear the old boys. You know how it's seen, the old boys at a You ever go early morning to a and there's like a group of old guys there? Yeah, it just seems that, that way consistently. Cheap coffee and uh, lots, of, lots of talking. And, and if you were to listen to them, you always hear there's one guy who has a big mouth, right? There's one guy who just talks louder and kind of hogs the conversation. So I can just imagine what the talk around the A&W was at the time of John the Baptist. Maybe it went something like this. Hey, remember that guy 30 years ago? Um, uh, yeah, you, you ne never heard much about him. Remember when there was that guy, that, that baby born like in, in, in a stable, and the shepherds got all excited. They said there was angels, and, 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 you know, that, and, and then remember how those wise guys came from the east and, and, and were claiming there was some new king, and... and Wow, that was 30 years ago already? Yeah, 30 years ago that happened. Nothing really seemed to happen much. Whatever happened to that kid? What, what happened to that boy? Well, I hear he's working for his dad in a carpenter shop in Nazareth. And, and, and then they all spit on the ground and, you know, and Nazareth? Has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? I don't think so. Really? He's living in Nazareth? Oh, here he's a real nice kid. Just working for his dad. And, and, and then remember that story kind of alongside, it happened a few months before that, that Zechariah, the old priest, remember how he claimed an angel came and saw him? And then his wife in her old age got pregnant and he was so shocked <laughs> that, that he couldn't like speak until the baby was born. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I heard. He just... <laughs> yeah, Zechariah, he's dead. He's long gone. And his wife Elizabeth are gone and after, after they died, his son, their son John, oh, he was a different one. He, he took off. Here he's out in the wilderness, growing his hair out, growing a big beard. And here he went a little crazy in the head, too. I mean, he's living in the wilderness, and he's wearing this big leather belt, and he's wearing camel. No, not camo, camel. 
camel hair he's wearing. That stuff is itchy. Like, I know, but uh, whatever. He's an odd fella. I mean, he's eating. He's eating locusts and wild honey of all things. Like, that's what he's eating. You know, just wait for it. I'm sure down the road, our great, 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 great grandchildren, that kind of food will be all the rage. I mean, I mean, they'll probably have stores filled with that kind of stuff. I mean, they should call it like Nature's Fair or Whole Foods or something like that, right? And, but I hear that John guy, he's, he's strange. But man, like, I'm hearing people, well, I've even been there. Have you been there yet? Have you gone to see him yet? He, he's out in the wilderness, out Jordan River area. And, and, well, I haven't gone out there. Well, if you haven't gone there, it's a 20-mile walk. I mean, but it's worth it. it it's, it's not even on a major roadway, and yet everyone's flocking there. People are going, huge crowds. I've gone a few times. And one day I was there, and, and, and there were some religious leaders there to check them out, and they were wearing all their gowns and vestments and that. And he turned to them and he called them a brood of vipers. You should have seen the look on their faces. I guess he doesn't like that kind of organized religion. He doesn't like hucksters and phonies and those who are exploiting others. And oh, it was good to see him put them in their place. But to other people, he was so kind and compassionate. He was super passionate, but he was so kind and and, and so direct in what he had to say. He was telling people, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, get ready. Get ready. Get right with God. Turn from sin. Repent. Because Messiah is coming. And then he's baptizing. Yeah, bap, like all the way under. He's putting people under. Well, well, we don't do that kind of. I know, it's so weird. It's so different. And yet everyone's coming along and getting baptized. Puts them right under the water. He says that it's a way to show that you're serious about God. And then he's saying that that it's also a way that you're, you're declaring you're turning your back on your sin and your selfishness. But he says that, that when Messiah comes, he's going to baptize us with God's power, with Holy Spirit power. Well, maybe that's how the talk went down. We don't know. But we know that God used John the Baptist to be a messenger, to be a proclaimer for Christ, to speak into the silence and to the darkness of the day. The loved ones here listening today, those of you joining us online, he wants to use you. He wants to use Hope Bible Church. Yes, you and I, the most unlikely, strange people meeting in a strange place, a German Harmony Hall of all places, to do great and mighty things here and out there. He wants to use the very ones sitting in these chairs here this morning that will come again for the 1045. And our mission is the same, to introduce people to Jesus Christ, to call them, to implore them, to pray for them, to get their hearts ready to, to meet Jesus Christ. Because Jesus will one day return, or one day they will pass. And what you have decided here on this earth is the only thing that will last. We are to call people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, our work associates, our friends, our family, to find their life, to find their hope, their future, their forgiveness and cleansing, to find real peace and life in and only through Jesus Christ. This is our calling. And God uses the strange ones. God uses every one of us. 
You know, all throughout the history of the church in very dark times, God has raised up groups of people. Churches, he has raised up. Churches like this. And in response to their prayers and their cries and their availability to God to use them, people's lives and families and cities and nations have been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, I pray, I pray that God would use me, that he would use us in this region, in this nation. It's the only hope. The only hope is Jesus. God uses messengers and proclaimers, people ready to roll up their sleeves and be faithful. He uses you and me to point people to Christ. That's the ultimate mission. It's not to make money. It's not more accolades. It's not this and that and all these great accomplishments. It's great to have certain goals and career and life and that, but that's not the main one. The main one is to point people to Jesus Christ. And look what we can learn from John the Baptist. It's amazing. We see these qualities in John the Baptist that we also need to emulate in our lives. We see an integrity. He was the real deal. He spoke clearly and truthfully about the Word of God. He wasn't part-time. He wasn't a hypocrite. He didn't say talk one way around one group and one around another. He was consistent. There was a humility about him. Everything about him pointed to Jesus. He saw himself as the servant, not as the master. He saw himself not even as one fit to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet, he says here. To untie, to, to clean the feet was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. He didn't even see himself as a low, like he saw himself beyond low. I mean, he saw himself as pond scum. He didn't, I mean, he was just nothing. There was a humility about him. It wasn't a fake humility. He even said later on, he says, hey, when it comes to Jesus, when, every, when his followers and his, follow, his, his numbers were dwindling and everyone was following Jesus, and they said, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? He's like, no, it's good. It's good. I must decrease. He must increase. It's all about Jesus. Years ago, my uncle, who was a pastor for many years in the city of Chicago, was talking to an up-and-coming, very gifted pastor who was experiencing a lot of ministry success in the way that we would oftentimes define it today. Um, God may define it differently, and, and, and yet was experiencing the numbers and a fast following and all of this going on, and he told him at the end of their time together, the Lord just led him to say this to him, and he said this, just remember that even the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem knew that the cheering crowds were not for him, but for the one that he was carrying. We're not the message. We're not the big deal. Jesus Christ is that. There's a great quote for all preachers, for all messengers. Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. That's good. But we want to be elevated. We want to be noticed. We want to be recognized. We want the accolades. We want the path. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait to hear from our Heavenly Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is going to be the best one could ever receive. Because we're so tempted to insert ourselves into the story, make sure we're noticed, make sure we're recognized, thinking that we're God's gift to people, God's gift to our family, God's gift to the workplace, God's gift to... If, I, if it wasn't for me... This church would be, no, we want to keep inserting ourselves. Would we decrease so that he would increase? How we need more donkey sense. Maybe we should call each other that. Hey, you donkey. <laughs> I mean, some of you may be tempted to shorten that. And, and could you imagine new people walking in? Hey, yeah. Anyway, no, we won't do that. And then he, pre and, and he lived with authority. He spoke 
with great authority. He didn't tickle people's ears and give them what they wanted to say just to draw a crowd. And nor was it just to create this emotional rush and this soulish experience to draw so that people could just like, oh, they're so good. No, he declared God's word and called people to get right with God, to repent. And that often isn't easy because there's the living of that. He spoke of the clarity, a simple message, the need for repentance and forgiveness because the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, Messiah, was coming. And so get ready for him. He didn't use a bunch of big words. You know, sometimes it can take a real skill to take something really simple, to take a simple message and to make it sound complicated. And some preachers and some teachers are really good at that. John the Baptist preached a simple message with clarity from the Word of God and he preached with urgency. Flee! The upcoming wrath is coming. Life is short. Eternity is long. Oh, how God uses and wants to use messengers like you and me. How he wants to use this church gathered on Sunday, scattered throughout the week to be on mission for him. To speak into the darkness, to speak into the silence, the hope that we have in Jesus. The end result for John the Baptist on an earthly level didn't really look so good. His life ended with his head on a platter because he refused to give in and he spoke with boldness the truth of God's word. At a time speaking God's word is going to upset people. People will defriend you, unfollow you. They will say nasty things about you. Things will happen in, in, in relationships and in gossip and various things will be said. And yet God is glorified as we speak the truth, as we do it in love with a passion for souls. Oh, would we speak with integrity, humility, speaking with authority of God's word, with clarity and urgency. Let's bow our heads. The worship team is going to come and the prayer partners you're going to join them as well, and prayer partners will be at the front on your right. Encourage you, if there's a prayer need in your life, in your family, that during the response song and after the service, they're here to pray for you and with you, for that need in your own life. In response to the message today, or perhaps it's just you are so burdened with life and what's going on right now, and you just need a brother and sister to pray for you. They're here for that. Please come. And you know, I, with just heads bowed, we're going to pray in a moment, and then we're going to respond in worship. I believe this series in the Gospel of Mark has potential to be so life-changing and transforming, life-altering for so many of us who will take this, this, this path, this journey seriously. And I believe that God can and will do great things in the central Okanagan we trust that many will come to faith in Jesus Christ and God will use strange people like us in strange places, mess-ups and failures to be his messengers. And I trust that you will be all in as we work through this gospel and move out into mission, the mission God has for us individually and as a church. And I even encourage you even now, out of response to what Christ has done in your life, would you be praying even now, God, work in me. God, work through me. God, use me. But first, maybe, God, you work in me in a new way, in a deeper way, in a fresher way. I need your Holy Spirit. God, work in our church. Pray that daily. Pray, pray that God would work for his glory as we desire to see lost souls saved, saved, saved people then matured all to the glory of God. And so, God, would we reflect you 
in a greater way through your word taking hold of our lives? Would we take and deflect away from ourselves into the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world? Would the radical claims of the gospel move and motivate every one of us with a deep sense of awe and worship that will lead us to action? Confess that so oftentimes so much of this becomes all familiar. We're going to hear the message, then we're going to sing a song, we'll hear a few things, and then we'll go eat lunch. Oh God, would we be gripped by your word and changed? Would we embrace you, Jesus? Would it change how we live our lives, how we pray, how we serve? Oh God, do that good work, we pray in Jesus' precious name. And let's stand together in response. Would we be undone by your great mercy and grace? We pray this, Jesus. Do this work in us.